Welcome to So You Want to Be a Witch, the podcast for soul-centered entrepreneurs and the people who love them. Hello, hello, Sarah M. Chapel here, founder of the Holistic Business Academy. Welcome to Free Coaching Thursday. It is Thursday. That means that I am live here on Instagram, or if you're catching this replay over on Instagram story feed thing or on the podcast, it was Thursday and I was live. Sorry, here we are, different times, different spaces. How Free Coaching Thursday works. On Wednesday, over on my Instagram feed at Sarah M. Chapel, we share a little graphic square thing where you can drop a question about your business. Put anything you want in there, then come on over on Thursday, catch it live, or over on our podcast, So You Want to Be a Witch, and I answer your business questions. Super fun, right? Let us dive in. So we have, we're going to start, we have two questions about niching down today. So I'm going to kind of combine those into two. The first question is, how do I pick my, so I have to do the rhyme now, pick my niche I say niche. I'm sorry. I am a French major. Um, Also the word niche. I hate how that sounds. Niche sounds like itch and like nobody wants an itch, right? So I'm going to say niche. But how do I pick my niche? I'm constantly wanting to do it all. And the second one there is defining my niche. I've coached clients for five years. Creative entrepreneur is too broad. So this whole niche concept is kind of interesting, right? I unpopular opinion think that it's kind of something that we've like run away with a little bit in the sense that there are tons of marketers out there who are selling you things to help you niche down so I'm always like let's be mindful of like who is building entire business models based off of convincing you that this is a problem right it may be something that you need help with but I think this term becomes very kind of marketing jargony so let's talk a little bit more let's try to make it a bit maybe less jargony and a little bit more useful. What this really means, defining my niche, um, niching down, picking my niche, is getting specific about how you communicate and who you help with your work. So let's stop talking about niche, maybe. I mean, that's fine, but I'm just, if you're getting, people are getting stuck in this, so let's break out of it um, and talk about specificity. Because that's really what we're saying, right? Niche is a buzzword for specificity. The honestly, what this is, is like a reworking of this concept of what we call product market fit. Okay. Um, It's very common, especially in startup circles and online business circles, and especially in coach circles to then basically like invent new words for concepts. So it doesn't sound like you're corporate or so it sounds like you've invented something new when really all anyone's doing is like rehashing stuff that businesses, business management and business marketing has been doing for the past like 50 years. So it's neither here nor there. I have my own words for stuff. Words matter. Redefining things matters. That's fine. But I'm just saying what we're talking about is product market fit, right? What we're talking about when we say niche or even getting specific is does your product fit your market? (laughs) And really what we're saying is like specifically who is your product for and do they want it? That is really what we mean by a niche or being specific. Do those two things fit together? There are certain products that the market for them is very wide and the product market fit isn't really all that complicated. But we can see things like, I always love to use grocery store examples when I can, um, something like milk, right? 
even think milk needs a lot of branding, but there is product market fit with milk. There's just the generic milk you buy at the store that is generic, but then you have like the organic milk, right? And the organic milk, what is the, I was gonna say Hallowed Valley, that is not what it's called. Horizon, like organic maybe, like there's a bunch of, there's a you know, Hidden Valley, I think. Maybe I'm making that up. Um, but there's like a lot of these organic brands, right? They have images of like happy cows and like grassland and pasture. And they're speaking really specifically to people who value or they want to kind of get in their mind saying that they value organic, obviously. And they're trying to justify that high price tag being like, oh, these people, the, these are happy cows creating this milk, right? And the whole product market fit is about, the product is the same, it's fucking milk, right? It's cow milk, it comes from cows. <laughs> and a lot of those companies, they do exposés, right? They're not actually doing that much different. The cows are not treated that much better. That's a whole other conversation. But the presentation to the market is, oh, we are targeting specifically people who care about health and probably care about like the environment and care about animal welfare, but are not vegans, right? So that's really what a, a niche is. It is who is your product for and what do you need to communicate to them so they understand that? And where this kind of gets very... Um, kind of like go, maybe runs away a little bit. I don't, gosh, I don't mean to be on my soapbox. We'll see how we do. I'm actually super hungry. So we, we're going to see if my brain can follow this. Online, specificity is really important because you do want to cut through all the different people who are also doing similar things, especially if you are a small brand, if you have a um, personal brand. Most of you have a personal brand on some level, like you are a face of your brand, you are the voice of your brand. So this niche thing becomes this way to differentiate yourself in the marketplace. Awesome, but then let's just fucking say that, all right? We're talking about specificity. We're talking about product market fit. We're talking about differentiation. So instead of, yes, like in this particular question I'm looking at right now, the first one was, how do I pick my niche? I wanna do everything. The second one is creative entrepreneur is too broad. Totally. We'll get to some actual tips here, but I think like, let's just like lay the ground, the ground level here. What we're trying to get at is, who is your work most best suited for? And what do they need from you? And how are you communicating that? It's not really a niche thing. This is an entire marketing communication thing. Niching is just a way to like sneak up on your marketing communication. All right, I'm off of my everything old is new again and we just keep inventing words to mean the same thing and feel special about ourselves, soapbox. And on to how do we define our niche or more specifically, how do we differentiate you in the marketplace? Because that's really what the goal is. So there are a few perspectives, right? You can be specific in a couple different areas and that can be enough to differentiate you in the marketplace. The first one is what you do, right? Now, if you are a coach for creative entrepreneurs, that's not specific enough, right? There are tons of coaches. Coaching is no longer a niche industry. <laughs> it is not specific enough. That is not enough to differentiate you in the marketplace, right? Same thing, if you are a tarot reader, if you are an astrologer, right? None of those things are specific in the marketplace anymore. Maybe at the very dawn of the internet, of course, there have been tarot readers and astrologers and coaches for, the coach thing is more like since the 80s, I think. But, um, you know, there was probably a time at the dawn of the internet when there were only a handful of tarot readers and coaches on the internet. And those people are very wealthy now, if <laughs> they kept going. But at the time, it was like, oh, you're an online business coach. That's weird. That's different. That's new. What is it? You, creative entrepreneurs, I've never heard of that before, right? 
So as the market develops and as your customers become more sophisticated, this is literally the language that's used in marketing. So like, as in the sense that they know more about your product and your service, they become more sophisticated consumers. Uh, if you're on the podcast, you can't see my scare quotes, but there are scare quotes there. Then you need to be more specific, right? It, you can't be, you know, general. I think of stuff like, you know, people who teach like, I don't know, homesteading, right? Which I understand is a problematic word, but that's what it's often called, right? It used to be you could just teach homesteading online. That was like brand new and weird. People were like, that's cool. No, now you have to teach like, I don't know, like homesteading for, you know, farms or for like, you know, under half an acre with, you know, no plastic or something. This is all a long way of saying that what you do has to be specific or who you help has to be specific. That's the second part. What you do or who you help, okay? So the who you help part, right? Who do you help? We call this the core identity customer inside of HBA. So if you haven't done that work yet and you're in HBA, go take a look at that. The person you help can be specific, all right? And that is the second place to quote niche down. Because a lot of you don't do things that are that specific, frankly. And that's fine. That's totally normal. It's not like you invented, I don't know, Bluetooth headphones, right? The first Bluetooth headphones uh, were very specific, right? That hadn't existed before. The first headphones were very specific that hadn't existed before. Now we have 50 different kinds of headphones with different product market fit. So, all right, I'm rambling a little bit. I did say I was hungry. I'm sorry. It's not always the best place for me to try to teach from. The first step is ask yourself, is the thing that I do unique, rare, differentiated? If it is, awesome, you have a niche, right? If you teach, I don't know, like Icelandic, what are those images? Like I like Icelandic, like witchcraft. I saw a book once from like the Iceland, like the witchcraft museum in um, Iceland. It was super cool. They had these beautiful kind of like rune sigil things that are super gorgeous. If you're an expert in that and you teach that, that's specific enough, right? You don't need to teach that to specific kinds of people. Teaching Icelandic sigil runecraft, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the word for what those are called. They are gorgeous though. Um, that's specific. But for most of you, you're not gonna pass the first test. Yes, it is super cool. There is a, a, a witchcraft museum in Iceland, look it up. I have not been to Iceland, but my cousin went and brought back the the witchcraft sigil magic book, which is is so fucking gorgeous. The, they're the coolest design, so beautiful. Um, so anyway, <laughs> so that's a specific topic, right? Or maybe you, you know, I don't know, teach a certain like style of weaving or, you know, teach, you know, this is why you'll often see people who, who like even in the online business space who are like, I teach LinkedIn ads. That's pretty specific. They're probably going to be more specific than that, but right. Or I teach people how to niche down. That's specific. <laughs> Most of you are not going to pass that first test though. The thing you do is not differentiated enough. It can't be. It's okay. That's part of the world we live in. Everyone has access to so many more things, the amount of information and knowledge, and it's just, it's awesome. But that means that things that used to be kind of like rare or weird or special aren't anymore. So that's where we niche into the people you're helping. All right. And then there's a third area, which we'll talk about. This is where it gets easier. And this is where we see something like this where this question I have is creative entrepreneur is too broad. Um, it is too broad because that doesn't mean anything anymore. 
it is used by everybody, right? I say spiritual entrepreneur, that means honestly, it doesn't mean much. If that was the only thing we were going off of, it really wouldn't get us very far. So if you're doing something like tarot readings, coaching, healing, like I don't care what your thing is, art, you make stuff, the people it's for is often gonna be easier to make specific. So there's a few things here, right? You can ask yourself questions and look at, okay, out of the people I have worked with, right, who have I enjoyed working with the most? What kind of problems do I most like solving? You know, for example, I really, really, really love helping people create offers. I love it. I love like putting together the different pieces, figuring out like what people need help with and then how based off of an offer, we create like a marketing plan. Because I find that a lot less overwhelming. I find that really interesting, right? So I don't think of myself as a marketing teacher. I, I think of myself far more as like a as like an offer strategist, honestly. And then we figure out how to sell the offer. So like, what do you like solving? What problems do you find interesting? If you're a reader or a healer or a coach, right? What kinds of issues do you like working on? Maybe you're an herbalist and like gut health just gets you fucking going. You're like, oh, I love gut health. Most most herbalists love gut health. Give me some bitters, right? Um, but maybe you're an herbalist, you're like, not even more than gut health. I like working with people who have celiac, right? Or who have gluten sensitivity or who have food allergies. That's really specific. Your tool, I'm an herbalist. That's not weird anymore. Sorry, everyone's a fucking herbalist. Welcome. Welcome to, welcome to 2021. Everyone is an herbalist. Um, but getting really specific on the specific kinds of things you help people with, people with certain problems, that is how we define it. So I would ask again, ask yourself these questions. What problems do I like solving? What do I find interesting? And honestly, in some of like, what do you find kind of endlessly like, like curious? Like, where can you be curious about things? Because it, once you are that level of specificity, you need to be able to find some kind of joy in it. The first question we had here, which was this question of like, I want to do everything. Um, if you're inside HBA, watch the But I'm Multi-Passionate video. I think it's super important because it addresses this and how you can kind of weave these pieces together. But if you're at a place where I'm too broad, the question is simply, what do you like best? Who are your favorite customers? And you just have to fucking pick one. I'm sorry. Like, I know that's not like really cool or like romantic or whatever. You got to pick one, try it, see it if you like it, right? Instead of creative entrepreneurs, maybe you help, you exclusively work with tarot readers. There are people who do that. You exclusively work with coaches who do certain things, right? The multi-passionate video is um, inside the Holistic Business Academy for our members. So it is in um, phase two create. It's like one of the last videos in that. It's called, but I'm multi-passionate. And it's part of our core curriculum there. Um, but the second piece for those of you that are like, I like to do everything. We have a really important question to talk about, which is, does everything have to be part of your business? The answer is no, right? We, I'm, I'm a multi-hyphenate, multi-passionate, gifted adult. I still hate that term, but I am. Um, I research a lot of stuff. I learn a lot of stuff. I do a lot of stuff. Most of it has nothing to do with my business. You are allowed and not even allowed for the purposes of niching down, required to separate out your personal passions from your business at some level. And we talk about this in the But I'm Multi-Passionate video inside the Holistic Business Academy. But for most businesses, at some point, you're going to hit a ceiling where being not specific is going to prevent your financial growth because people don't know what you do, who you help, or how to explain your work. And you're not going to get referrals. You're not going to, um, you're going to make your systems really complicated because 
you have to do something different for every single piece, every single like um, perspective. So this comes back to product market fit. In terms of getting specific and clear, we're gonna come back to what I said at the beginning. What is the thing that you do that people actually want? There are things I'm very passionate about that none of you would give me money for. <laughs> Most likely, not the kind of money I wanna make, right? And that's fine, I can even be good at them, but no one's gonna pay me for them. Your business has to have that intersection point of the thing that you do and are passionate about and that people actually want to pay for. So that is step one. If you are overwhelmed, I love to do everything. I want to do everything. What will they actually pay you for? This is a business. You know, I, I, I mean to say this with a lot of compassion for having a lot of passions, liking to help a lot of people, liking to be broad in your services. I get it. But your business is not here to amuse you. Ugh. Best things I've ever heard from a coach. And that mental shift is an important one. That doesn't mean we don't enjoy our business. Doesn't mean we aren't doing work we love but it's not here to amuse you. So look at the list of things that you like doing and ask, which of these are actually hobbies? Which of these are actually things I like doing for me that fulfill me? This is also a healthy boundary exercise. Keep them fucking separate. Not everything needs to be monetized. So the last piece, and this kind of comes back to this question, you know, defining my niche, things are too broad. And also this, how do I, you know, niche down, pick something, try it, see if you like it. Get really specific, try it, see if you like it. If you don't, change it, change it. Testing is ultimately the most important thing that you can do here. So if you say, okay, I'm going all in on my weaving and I'm not gonna offer tarot readings anymore because it's confusing to people, go all in on your weaving and see how it goes. See how you like it. Do you like weaving all day and just doing tarot readings for your friends as part of a personal practice? Or do you find that you really miss reading for strangers? Like you, that like is something you're into. Cool, then you'll realize you miss it and you can make another change. Uh, the, the niching thing, it kind of starts to fall into a perfectionism trap as well very often where we're like, oh, if I pick the wrong thing, I'm fucked. Picking nothing is what's fucking you. <laughs> picking nothing is what's keeping you stuck because it's confusing to you, it's confusing to your customers, you don't know where to focus. So I hope that that's helpful. I know that was quite a long ramble about this. I'm like, oh my goodness, almost 20 minutes of me talking about niching without using the word niche um, or trying not to use the word niche because I fucking hate it. I really should eat before these. You guys get very salty, Sarah, when I don't eat. But um, basically pick something, try it, see if you like it, see if you don't like it. If you're an HBA member, this is exactly why we do the business audit multiple times, why you're reminded to do it after your bare bones offer. You will not know if you enjoy something until you do it. Um, we, are, we, we, have, we are operating off of assumptions until we take action. Most of you, your specific work is not going to be specific enough um, to be uh, clearly defined for potential customers, which means that the people you help should be more defined, right? I, and there's always a fear, I'll say, say this last and then I'm gonna move on, People think that getting specific means you're going to lose out on customers. The reality is that it actually makes it easier for people to know if you're the right person for them. That means you're going to have more customers. I know it seems counterintuitive, but it's really true. And the reality is if you're really good at what you do, you'll still get referrals and customers who don't fit into your like clearly defined box. Um, I have a customer who I just started working with one-on-one, -on -one, who I would say in terms of values, interests, uh, and business stage is a great fit but they're not someone who probably follow, falls under the term spiritual entrepreneur per se, okay? So I'm good at what I do. People 
refer people to me. And because I'm good at what I do and because it's clear how I help people as a business strategist um, and what my values are, I get a lot of referrals for people who aren't necessarily healers, makers, or mystics, right? So that's the other piece. When you're more specific, it's actually, you will actually get more sales, most likely, um, as long as you're communicating effectively. So I hope that that is helpful. All right. That was a lot about niching. Let's see what's next. How do you decide what to focus on or prioritize when you're starting out and feel overwhelmed? Um, awesome question. I feel like the niching conversation probably fits into this really well. I'll offer a few more tips. I know that you, person who submitted this, are in HBA. This is where that need and desire work in the first phase, coupled with the vision and value work, is so important. You need to know what your goals are. And for a lot of folks, the overwhelm comes, I think, from looking too far into the future when they're starting their business. Uh, you know, I think I'm like totally fine with this idea that like you can, um, I don't know, like you don't need a 10-year goal for your business if you haven't sold anything yet. You don't need a three-year goal. We need like a three-month goal. <laughs> and that's why in HBA we start with this idea of needs. What do you need to make? What are your non-negotiables? How much money do you fucking need? And that that can actually help to create that focus and prioritization if your needs are honest, right? And we don't actually need to step into the desires right away. We need like the the, the good to haves, the, oh, I need to make $2,000 a month. That covers my rent and my food. Not the, I desire to have a multiple six-figure business and a team of five. That's cool, but we need to make that $2,000 first. So I find that when we're really overwhelmed, getting super practical and super focused on the need and how to fulfill the need, what is required to hit that goal? And then honestly picking one offer, <laughs> just what we were talking about, get super focused. This is why we do the bare bones offer inside of HBA. Get super focused on the thing and take the action required to launch that offer and to sell it and to get that feedback. So prioritizing when you are just starting out and you're overwhelmed needs to be focused on revenue generating activities. That means things that are going to validate your offer idea. Make sure that you have product market fit. I never use that term, but I'm using it today because we came up in our niche conversation. Make sure people actually want the fucking thing. Validate the offer. And then once it's validated, get it in front of more people. That's, that's it. That is all you need to do right now if you are just starting out. How much money do you need to make? How do you want to make it? See if you can make it. It's that simple. Often when we're starting out, we really overcomplicate things. Like, oh, but I need like a social media strategy and I need a content strategy. And Sarah is doing weekly IG live, so I should do that. Yeah, we're in year five of my business. Things are different now. I do a lot of stuff. I used to not do any of this, <laughs> right? So really get clear. You don't need to be doing things that people with established businesses are having. I like this. Lisa says, that's too simple. I want to complicate things. Yeah. And I see this a lot because business owners are visionary, are intelligent, are curious. Um, and you can see the future in a way, right? That's part of what brings people to create businesses. We can see all the different things. I'd be like, or, or, or envision them, imagine them, be like, oh, I can, these connections and this possibility and this and that. You need to sell some stuff. You need to see if people want the thing you're selling learn and get that feedback. Am I communicating effectively? Am I making the money I want? How do I refine my communication? It is that simple. I know. I have on the Instagram feed somewhere, there's a, there's a, an, a quote, like a slidey thing I made. You guys can go find it. It says something about the three, the three steps to running your business or something. I can't remember. I think it's from about this time last year. 
Step one, find people. Step two, sell them things. Step three, give them the things that you sold them. It's that simple. That, that complexity that you have, that passion, that can go into refining your offer and practicing your communication for it. Um, essentially putting things out there and getting the feedback. Did I get a sale or not get a sale? And then tweaking, refining, and testing again. Did I get a sale? Did I not get a sale? Put that energy simply into validating your offer. That is like the, that is simply the most important thing that you can do. Um, yeah, I hope that's helpful. It's that simple. Thank you, Happy Off Grid, for saying you love my glasses. <laughs> okay. Is there a way to do group programs with a low budget? You've mentioned they are dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign. So I have to apologize in advance because I saw this question pop up and I was trying to remember what I said. I think what I said about this, because I, I'm, I know I said something recently about something being expensive and I do not mean to say that running group programs, what does validating your offer mean? Means that somebody actually buys it, that people actually want it. Yeah, your offer is not validated, it's not proven until people give you money for it. Ideally, people who are like not your parents, but um, it's fine to start with people who already know you. <laughs> um, most of your first sales will be friends, customers, colleagues. That's totally fine. Don't discount that. Um, but yeah, validating it means somebody has given you money for it. Until then, we're just hanging out and trying things. I want that cold, hard cash. <laughs> Group programs. Group programs actually can be done super cheaply, super cheaply. So I think what I said, and this was because I think this is a little bit of my, one of my kind of like peccadillos where like, I think people online are like, start a membership site. It's free money. It's so easy. And I think what I said was that running a program like HBA, like my membership site is expensive because it is, but I don't want to conflate that with running a group program, low budget, because to me, those are totally different things. You can have a membership site, which is not a group program. I'm going to define a few terms real quick. You can have a membership site that doesn't cost as much money as running something like HBA does. HBA is expensive to run for a few very important reasons that I have specifically chosen. First of all, the program is inexpensive. Um, comparable programs that offer the amount of support, feedback, guidance, and the kind of content that we have cost a lot more a month. Um, or there are courses that you have to buy that usually cost $2,000 to buy the course. And maybe there's like a like some support component um, for like eight weeks or something, that's pretty common. So part of it's because, yeah, I underprice HBA. Now I do that on purpose. I'm like, this is a choice that I made. You don't have to make the same choice, by the way. Like this is a choice that I've made that is about the intersection of like my privilege, who I want to help, uh, the kind of business I want, um, and the fact that I really love running HBA. So like I'm like super happy yeah, it works for me. This is not, you don't have to do that. Because of the account of support that we have, right? We have two full-time people working on that, me and then our community manager, um, our product manager, Marisa. Um, so we have two full-time employees now for HBA. That's expensive. Payroll's expensive. <laughs> um, we pay people who do bonus trainings. Um, the tech setup we have is expensive. I was going to try to add it up for you guys, but I think it's, someday I'll, I'll do a cost breakdown on the podcast at some point because I think that's probably helpful. Um, but our tech setup is like several thousand dollars a year, more than several thousand dollars a year. You don't have to do all these things. That's what I think I said was expensive. 
right? You can run a membership way more low-key than that. The, the cost of something like a group program, and I'll, I'll get into the definitions of this, but where we start talking about scalable offers being expensive comes when you are scaling them to a high level, as in many, many people, and you are still offering personal support or feedback. So, for example, if you sell a, um, a PDF, the fee for that is you made the PDF and uh, you need to host it somewhere, right? You could do that on a $12 a month Squarespace website, right? That's not a problem. If you are selling a program where people are getting coaching in a Facebook group or getting coaching calls, it's a totally different ballgame. So I think that's probably what I was talking about. So let's separate these two. First of all, uh, a membership site is a subscription program. I would say in general, memberships tend to be very scaled, though not always. And by that, I mean lower cost, higher volume of people. Um, and essentially, it's a subscription. To me, a group program is probably a more clearly defined container. Um, the time length can vary for sure. Uh, but I'd say most of what I see is probably somewhere between like four weeks and 12 weeks. The Pyre School, uh, that we did this past year, me and Ren Zatapak, that I would say is a group program. That was a year-long group program. That's not uncommon. You see that. Um, there's probably a more clearly defined container with a start date and an end date. And they can have a lot of people in them. Um, I've been in group programs with literally hundreds of people. But they tend to be, as a result, also very high-priced, right? Or they are a higher-tier offer. And since, Olivia, you are inside of HBA... Um, a group program would be a mid to high tier offer, right? This is not like a, this is not like an entry level offer. So how we run it cheap. <laughs> awesome. I'm going to tell you about my first group program, which was the first time I taught my tarot course online. Some of you were there. Some of you were there and you're still here. We had two pieces. One, Zoom calls. <laughs> Zoom. And at the time for me, yes, I just, lest you think I have forgotten this, um, paying $15 a month for Zoom so we could have more people on it stressed me out so fucking much. So if you're at a place where you're like, the idea of spending $15 on Zoom sounds like a lot, hear you, I like viscerally remember spending that money <laughs> and how hard it was. Zoom, so that was 15 bucks a month. Uh, we used Slack for our private chat and that was free. Slack is free. You can get the paid version, but for like a small group program, you really don't need it. You're not going to create that much volume. So we use Slack for chat. And then uh, I'm pretty sure I was still using a personal Gmail account at that time. And I uploaded the Zoom replays to a folder there and emailed them to everybody on my personal Gmail every week. So that cost me $15 to run. <laughs> so running group programs with a low budget comes down to figuring out what specifically you need to run the program. Um, I am a huge fan of the free Google Drive plus free Slack or free Facebook group plus Zoom for 15 bucks strategy. I know people who have run group programs exclusively inside of Facebook groups, only doing, only doing Facebook Lives into the group. Um, if you don't need people to like be interacting um, on video, that works fine. So there's a ton of ways to run them with a low budget. The challenge you'll run into is that there's probably a cap on the number of people that you directly can serve. This is where the group program scalability issue comes in. They've done some studies on this. I feel like I just read something, and of course I don't remember what else is new, uh, where it came from. Um, but something about like the kind of alt uh, maximum number of people that can be supported by like one person. I think it's like a management thing. 
it's, I want to say it's like 20 to 40 people. It's a number somewhere in there, right? In our experience, I find that around 20 people is when I feel like the dynamic shifts and I personally am not equipped to support more than that on my own. That has to do with my energy levels. I'm an introvert despite all this talking that you hear me do. Um, I love helping people, but I need really clear boundaries in order to be able to serve fully. So what that means is that I usually have somebody else helping me with some of the administration, some of the community management, some of the kind of touching base stuff. At some point, that's where the where a group program gets expensive is when you have enough people that you need to hire help to help you manage it, help you keep everything on track. But yeah, Zoom, Google Drive. I mean, you can make it fancier, but like you don't have to. <laughs> that's my cheap, my cheap and easy group program. A way to take payment, right? Which can be PayPal invoices. Like it doesn't have to be fancy. Yeah, I'm always. And if um, if you're listening to this on the podcast uh, or you're watching this live, we did a new version of the business on a budget episode over on So You Want to Be a Witch gosh, just two months ago, which I updated with like all of my new tech picks because it had been a couple years things had changed. So that's a great episode to check out if you are trying to create a new program, you want to get started, you don't have a lot of cash. Um, Zoom for 15 bucks a month is still going to be one of the best, the best deals out there, to be honest. But check out that business on a budget redux episode from a couple months ago because I go more in depth into the tech and tools and how to essentially start selling stuff without spending any money um, because that should not be the thing that stops you from starting your business. Awesome, great question. All right, cool. Let's see what we got next. Any tips for cultivating community when engagement is draining? Yeah, this is a really challenging question and I appreciate you bringing it up. I feel like this is a forum where it's gonna be a little challenging for me to give you personal kind of feedback because I don't know exactly what that means for you, right? But that's the nature of the forum. So I'm gonna say a few things. I think the biggest thing here is that you need to get specific on what about engagement is draining and what kind of engagement is draining. And here's the, I'm not talking directly to you, so I'm sorry if this makes me sound, if I sound like an asshole when I say this, but I mean it from that place of love. If talking to people is draining, you probably need a different strategy. Engagement and community engagement may not be the best strategy for you. And that's okay. Um, but if you don't, if talking to people or engagement is draining, and again, that's why I'm kind of like wondering, like, what specifically does that mean? Is it responding to things on Instagram? Is it responding to emails? Is it talking to people? Is it like going live and chatting? Like, what specifically is draining? Is it, if all if that's draining, you need a different strategy. And there are ways to cultivate community. I think without doing that, and I would be looking really specifically at asynchronous communication and things where people are frankly not having conversations with you. So and the, the good news, bad news is good news is that there's a ton of those ideas. Uh, bad news, I mean, they're not, it's whatever, not really good news, bad news, just two sides of the thing, two parts of the spectrum. Uh, the challenge with that is that most of those strategies are longer term growth strategies, and they're going to be primarily content strategies. So things like blogging, podcasting, um, potentially video, YouTube videos, Instagram videos, depending on, you know, what again, is draining there. But people feel a huge amount of community around blogs and podcasts. And that doesn't take a lot of facilitation. If you're creating content that 
is authentic and has some level of vulnerability. I don't mean like in an overshare way, but where you're not writing like in a clinical third person way, you're writing in a first person way, you're writing like a human way, people will respond to that. Uh, again, but it might take some time to get them there. So I would start to think, what are things that you can do that people can connect with, but they're not connecting with you directly? And content marketing, content strategies, that's kind of what comes to mind for me. The reason social media is so powerful is because it can be a faster growth strategy because that engagement creates relationship, right? I come here every week, I talk to a bunch of you live, a bunch of you watch the replay, a bunch of you submit questions. We're creating a relationship, we're getting to know each other. Um, and then you guys come and join my communities, you get to know each other. You know, there's a different, it's a little bit faster, I think. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. So that's my number one tip is maybe don't <laughs> or create things that people can build community around that isn't about you having to show up. Second piece, um, depending where you are or if you can get some of these things situated, hire someone to do that for you. There are people who literally will do Instagram engagement for you. It's not super expensive, to be honest. They will go, they will comment. I understand that might feel a little bit icky depending on what your kind of boundaries are, but ultimately... If you think that's required, then hiring someone to help you do that is not a bad thing. Um, same thing goes for emails. Same thing goes for like any support, any DMs. Hire someone. Hire an extrovert. <laughs> they exist. <laughs> that's what I do. Like hiring extroverts is like my number one, my number one tip for those of us who are drained by community. But I would just get super clear, you know, you don't have to do all the things you see other people doing. What drains you less? And if there are things you want to do that you find are draining, then this is a boundaries conversation, right? What are you willing to do? What are you unwilling to do? When are you willing to do it? How often are you willing to do it, right? Like I pick things because I find them, even if they are draining for me, I find them enjoyable, even if I'm tired afterwards. I'm going to be tired after this. I'm not going to lie. Sitting here talking, answering questions, trying to sound smart while I'm hungry. I'm going to be tired. I'm going to be drained. I get drained answering questions. But overall, I enjoy it. I would rather do this than have to go and comb through Instagram and like comment on people's shit. I find that so exhausting. I can never think of something to say that doesn't sound weird. Like I'm always like, love your post question mark. Like that's just not how I communicate. Um, I tend to write long form or I talk. That's what I got. So I try to cultivate community in a way. I'm like, all right, well, I can talk for an hour. That's not a problem. It's a Sarah skill. I can talk to myself for an hour and do. So this is a self-assessment. But I think ultimately, you know, you don't have to. And community can grow around things even without you feeding it your energy directly. So that would be my tip for you. I hope that's helpful. At the very least, just a permission giving from a stranger on the internet that you do not need to do these things. You can do other things. All right. Do you recommend a program to take in payments for coaching programs? Yeah, there's a couple things you can do. Um, for years, I just sent PayPal invoices. So you can do that. PayPal invoices, Stripe invoices. Um, just make sure if you're using PayPal, you're set up as a business account so that you are compliant with their terms and conditions. And those are those platforms are free in the sense that you're only paying for the credit card processing, which is 2.9% uh, plus 30 cents for both of them, at least in the United States. And then the... Yeah, this has been great for my 10th house Gemini eclipse. Fantastic! I am so glad. <laughs> Eclipse day. I am ready for them to be done, to be honest, but I'm really glad we're all here together. <laughs> 
So that's really easy. It may feel less professional. And sometimes I kind of like, I know I am somebody who gets a little hung up on appearances. Shock, I'm a Libra. I'm gonna put that one out there. Um, so sometimes I'm like, oh, does this, is this beautiful enough? Does this look right? Etc. I have tended to, at times to kind of over rely on making things look a certain way rather than just doing my job better. So, um, but I for years just sent PayPal links. So I was like, pay, pay me here. That's it. Um, if you want a software for coaching programs, it's actually funny. I just got served an ad for this yesterday. There's a new one. It's a little expensive though, so I'm not going to recommend it. Um, I want to say it's like called like Profit.io as in like profit, like money profit, not profit like Moses. Um, <laughs> just, to, just to be clear, because you can see both of those for a coaching app, to be honest, <laughs> depending on your take, uh, guru land. Um, my dog barked. She liked that. She liked that joke. The So there's a new one I just saw. So you might want to search for that. But honestly, the easiest one is called Dubsado, D-U-B-S-A-D-O. I think it is $35 a month or $350 for the year. And that's nice because it can automate your invoice. It can automate your entire onboarding process. You can do intake forms. You can do legally binding contracts. So it's really nice and answers a lot of the questions probably if you're running coaching programs. Um, and I think for $35 a month, it's probably worth it if you're going to be doing that consistently. I think I finally canceled my contract because I'm doing so little one-on-one -on -one coaching now that I decided I would just run it through something else rather than having like a software I'm not using. But when I was doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one work um, and small group programs, I really liked it because it takes, there's a little bit of a learning curve to be honest. Um, and it takes a minute to kind of set everything up. And, um, but once it's automated, it's automated, it's done. It's super easy. So, and it will take in payments. And then I think the last thing is like, just get creative. Do you already have a scheduling software? People can pay you through that. <laughs> People can pay you through a course platform if you have one. Um, use what you have. I have charged many a coaching client through my Acuity software. Um, right now, I actually am making, since we're only working with a handful of folks at a time, I only work with like one or two one-on-one -on -one clients at a time. So I don't need quite as much like uh, stuff. And then like our group programs, we're usually only running one at a time. We moved our group program, um, the incubator, and then also our one-on-one -on -one clients to Podia, which is a course platform um, that we're using. But I like a lot because it's super simple. It's very clean. It's very easy. It's inexpensive. And um, I don't hate the way it looks, which is important. And I didn't want to build something custom. I just didn't feel good. Um, so right now I am setting up essentially each of my coaching clients when I do have one as a course, as a product inside of Podia. And they have like a whole start here, like onboarding sequence, how they can book their calls, how they can contact me, how to set up our WhatsApp chat, like all the things that are included. And then I'm going to upload their, the coaching call replays there for the one-on-one -on -one clients. And it's already what we do for our incubator program. We have our core content and then they have a section which has all of their um, call replays. And we just put all the information there. Um, and I find that works really well and it does recurring payments. So we've been using Podia. I think Podia at the entry level is $37 a month. You're an HBA. We have a bunch of this stuff also linked up in our tech kit. So I hope that that is helpful. And I think that, I think that's all we got today. The other question I redirected back to HBA because it was an HBA member and we need to go a little bit deeper on that. Um, I appreciate you all so much. Um, I am going to go eat some food now because I'm hungry. We'll be back here next week. Uh, we're here every Thursday. Here's a quick recap of how Free Coaching Thursday 
works. If you are watching this replay, you're here live or you're checking out on our podcast, So You Want to Be a Witch. On Wednesdays, we post a little question box in my Instagram stories. All you got to do is drop your question in there. And then on Thursdays around 1 p.m. Eastern time, I go live. You can check it out here on Instagram live. You can check it out on the feed. You can check it out on our podcast, So You Want to Be a Witch, on Tuesdays. We release the audio from this. You can listen to it there as well. You can listen to it again. You can come back to it again and again because it's just so juicy. I love this. Thank you. That was great. Thank you. See, it is. it was great. So you can listen to it again. <laughs> Thank you guys for being here. Um, I appreciate each and every one of you who join us, who listen to this, who submit questions. I know how vulnerable it is to be like, I'm going to put a question up on the internet for this person to answer. Um, but it means a lot to me. Thank you for letting me riff off of your questions. And I hope that this has been helpful as always. And I will see you all here next week. Bye for now. <laughs>